Do any of you need a translation of the British language? <laughs> I can help you out. All right. Now, that was great having Nick up here. Love having him up here. Love having his wife, Tamsin, on staff with Journey Kids. Uh, welcome to the Journey. Glad that you are here. Thanks for being a part of what's taking place here. Man, we really do hope you'll stick around next week for the tailgate party. Wear your favorite jersey, t-shirt, hat for your favorite team. You can just come like you normally do. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, but this is going to be a great time. We did this last year. It was just amazing to see so many people together. So make sure you sign up for that so we can feed you and have the necessary food here. But, uh, but it's going to be a good time. So join us next Sunday. My, uh, my sophomore and junior years, when I was at Wake Forest University, I played on the baseball team. And some people hear that, and their, their immediate response is, wow, you must have been really, really good. Yeah, no, that's not, uh, I was just okay, all right? I wasn't anything special, didn't get recruited to play. Um, what happened was that, and I'll tell this a little bit more of the story in a second, but I, I, was, I walked on. I just walked on the team. A buddy of mine was playing. He's like, you should try out. I'm like, I'm not going to make it. He's like, no, nah, just come on out. And somehow I made the team. Now, let me set this part of the story up. My role on the team was I was a catcher, okay? Because nothing says you're made to be a catcher than being six feet, three inches tall, and 175 pounds at that time, okay? <laughs> Lost my hair, but thankfully I'm the same size that I was when I was in college. I'm not really, guys. I'm about 50. Thank you for laughing at my joke. I appreciate that. Well, um, I made the team as a catcher. And the reason I made the team, honestly, the year before, two guys had graduated. They were catchers. There was only one full-time catcher. And then we had another guy who played. He was a utility. He played everywhere, and he would jump in to catch. And so what they really needed were some grunts to work in the bullpen. This is what the team really needed. And so myself and a guy whose nickname was Hammer, because Hammer actually looked like a catcher, I didn't. Um, we made the team to be in the bullpen. Now, every single day when it was practice time, all the other guys, they were out in the field hanging out. They're, they're doing batting practice, and they're working on, on fielding ground balls on the infield. They're catching fly balls. And it seemed like a lot of time when I looked out there, they were just kind of hanging out together, right? And they were talking and probably talking about college and classes, I'm sure, and just kind of laughing about everything. Hammer and I were in the bullpen for like three to four hours every single day. Now, our job there was to, to get the pitchers ready for what they were going to be doing either during a game or just getting their, their, their arms ready. I'm sorry. I get a lot of feedback back here, guys. All right. Thank you. Um, so they're just getting the arms ready for, for the, the pitchers getting arms ready to, to pitch and for practice. So. Our job was to get these guys set, so we'd squat for three to four hours every single practice just catching these balls, okay? Now, sometimes it was working on the pitcher's mechanics. Other times, they were trying out new pitches, and curveballs were coming in about 55 feet and not as far as they should, so we're getting hit all over the place. We had a couple guys that could throw over 95 miles an hour, and let me tell you, a 95-mile-an-hour fastball hurts when it hits your hand just in the right spot. And a few times, it hits your thumbs like, ooh, I'm not sure my thumb's going to be okay, but this is what we did. Now, our pitching coach, uh, I think, was a little sadistic because uh, when we had a little break, he would say, hey, Chad Hammer, here's what I want you guys to do. I want to work, you to work on your blocking technique. And so Hammer and I would take baseballs, and literally we would throw them in the ground at each other. And the job was to work on how you were going to block the ball. Every single day, this is what we did for three to four hours, even sometimes when games were happening. Some of you are hearing that, and you're thinking to yourself, you sound a little bit bitter, Chad. I mean, 
do you think I really like being in the bullpen the whole time while all these other guys were out there, seemed like having a great time? No. Do you, do you think I like squatting for three to four hours every single practice? No, that wasn't a whole lot of fun either. Or do you think it was fun for me to take fastballs off the ground and work on my blocking technique? Of course not. But here's the deal. I wouldn't change anything. And the reason that I wouldn't change anything was that I knew I was a part of a team that was on mission together. That, that we had a purpose and, and a reason to be together. And each of us, we understood our place on the team. We understood our role on the team. We understood what we were trying to achieve. And when I talk about that term, team, I think often we kind of go to that world of sports, right? Because they're so used to that idea. But if you really think about what a team is, I mean, we see teams in every aspect of our life. Do you have a family? Hey, guess what? That's a team. Uh, do you have a roommate? You're a team. In the workplace, I know you have teams. If you're in the military, you have teams. Uh, everywhere we go, in school, and if you're in a co-op, your hobbies, you and I are part of teams. We see teams permeate every aspect of who we are. But I think the one place we sometimes forget is a team is the church. And out of all the teams that exist, the team of the church should be the greatest team there is. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, what is the church actually known for? Chances are pretty good that you're not going to say it's known to be one of the greatest teams that exist. You're going to say things like, hey, the church is known for bickering. It's known for splits. It's known for scandals. It's known for its building. It's known for the valuable real estate that it takes up. It's known for preacher sneakers, right? That it's known more for these things than it's known for the people who actually exit it every single Sunday and go into the world to live their lives. I think the reason that so many people see the church in that light is that when we look at the church too many times, it doesn't function like a team should function. In fact, I think the church may be one of the most underperforming teams that are out there. And I think in many cases, it can be the most disappointing team that exists. And I believe it's because we've never really realized our God-given, Christ-centered spirit-led potential and power. So over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about how this thing that we call the church is a team. But we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a part of this team, again, that we call the church. Now, a little side note here, if you're brand new and you're hearing this today, you might be like, uh-oh, there's some stuff going on here. This is a pretty healthy church, honestly, all right? And so when I, when I talk about church, I, I'm not specifically talking about the journey. I'm talking about the church just universal. Um, we know this at the journey. About every year, about 100, 120 of you, you're going to move, right? Big military populations, very transient area here. Crazy part is God usually fills those seats in pretty, pretty good and even throws some more people in there. So you're probably coming here from a church. The chances are pretty good about that. And you're going to be sent off. You're going to go to a church when you leave. And so I hope as, as we talk, you'll understand that we really are talking about the, the church at large as we go through the series. And, and I hope this series will challenge us. That it'll challenge each one of us in this place and it'll challenge us wherever we may be a part of a church in the future. But we're going to talk about how church is 
a team sport. I want to start the conversation today looking at a book that's called Church is a Team Sport. And yes, I co-opted their title for the title for this series. It's written by a pastor up in Idaho. His name is Jim Putnam. And he, he put it so well. This is one of my favorite books on ministry. He wrote this. He said, I see the church as the Lord's team. The opponent of the church is the devil. The playing field is the earth. The players are the people. The leaders are the coaches. As I read the scriptures, I see team everywhere. Teams have a common purpose. They run the same play at the same time and work together in their respective positions. I've read this book a few times, and I love this particular paragraph and what he writes here because it is a reminder to you and to me that the church is a team. We're, we're a team. And we've got an opponent, by the way, and that opponent kind of powerful. We've got a playing field. We've we got players. We've we got coaches. We're on this mission here. And yet I'm afraid too often we lose sight of the reason for this team to, the, to exist, that this church, it's a team of people who are on mission together. But here's the question. I'm going to ask a bunch of questions I want you to think about this morning. Where did we get to this place where the church doesn't seem to function in many instances as the healthy team it is called to be? Or, or where do we get to this place where, where the, the church has sort of forgotten its purpose or it's forgotten why it exists? And so this morning, as we start this series, we're going to kind of talk through some of those questions. And I'm going to use a couple of passages this morning I've actually used within the past year. Because some of you, if you've been here, you're like, hey, I think you already talked about this. I have. And one of these passages, I think I've talked about every single year because I, I believe it's so important to be reminded of why we are here and who we are called to be. And so this morning, I want to start by kind of understanding uh, the definition of this term church and the origination of this term church. And we're going to start by looking at a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. We're going to find this conversation in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus asks his disciples this question. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, if you know the passage, uh, the disciples give some answers here, some different ones. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, hey, Peter, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter's like, well, you're the Messiah. Like, you're the Son of God. We've been waiting thousands of years for you. And, and here's how Jesus responded to Peter. Verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is actually the first time in Scripture that word church is used. But the only problem is that's actually not the word that Jesus uses. Jesus uses the word ecclesia. And an ecclesia meant a gathering of people who are called out. Now I want you to think about this for a second because Jesus could have used another word that would have been very familiar to the people that he's talking to. He could have used the word synagogue. They would have been like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Or he could have used the word temple. And again, in their minds, like, oh, I understand what the temple is. But Jesus uses a very different word here. He uses this word ecclesia, which again means to be called out. Here's what Jesus is doing by, by using that term. He's calling for a movement of people that are gathered together to live out his mission here on this earth. But again, the question is, is that 
how we really see the church today. Because if I were to go out on the street, and if you were to go out on the street and ask people, what is the church, you're going to get responses like, oh, it's a location. It's a place. It's a, it's a building. It's an event. It's a time slot on a Sunday morning. Why is it that when we use that term, the church is defined more by a location, by an event, than what Jesus actually intended for it to be? That this is about this, this team of people who are living out his mission here on earth. Well, I think we need to do a, a little history lesson, do a little background this morning. I think will help us understand a little bit more of where this term came from. As scriptures are being translated from the Greek into the Latin around the second and third century, Translators came to this particular word. They came to the word ecclesia, which actually is found 115 times in Scripture in the New Testament. They came to this word, and they couldn't really define it. They couldn't figure out how to, to best put it into this the, uh, Latin term. And so they, they used many different words. Some of them used the word court. And so where you find the word church, you, you'd find court like 115 times. There are some kind of uh, parts of the definition of ecclesia that kind of fit in that sort of political realm a little bit. And so they were like, all right, we're going to put the word court in here. Uh, for Augustine, he, he put in city of God. So he puts in a phrase for every single time you see that word ecclesia. We see the word church. Other peoples are translating it. They, they put in the word party. Some of us are like, that's the church I want to go to right there, right? And then others, if they felt like it really connected to the Latin word circus. And some of us are like, we've been to that church before. And it's definitely been a circus, right? Sorry, not, there's no giraffes there. I apologize. But that word ecclesia, it was really, really hard to translate. And so they did the best they could. And so you would look at all these different translations and, and you'd see that that word, something different was in there. In the 1500s, they're translating the, the Bible from Latin into German. And the reason is that at that point in time, um, the church had kind of uh, held all the power, right? And so the priests, they knew all the Latin, and so they would come to the church, and they were like, here's what the Scripture says. People just had to trust what they were saying, and we won't go into details there, but they, they were trying to get more people, just normal people, to be able to read Scripture. So they said, all right, we're going we're gonna to translate this from the Greek from the Latin, and we're going to translate it into the German. And so they began to do this. But they came to that word ecclesia again, and they're like, what fits well here? And so they put in for ecclesia this German word, kirka. And, and so if you look at translations over the last 500 years, you know, that, that word kirka has become the translation that we use. And that word kirka became our word church. Now, kirka and an ecclesia, they actually have two different meanings. The kirka is a gathering place. It's a location. It's a building. And ecclesia is a, is a group of people that are called out to live out a mission together. They're, they're in the same identity, the same purpose in everything that they are doing. And so you have two definitions here that are very different of that one particular word. And as we think about the word that we use, church, the idea and the real meaning behind that word seems to be what you and I and the world has started to define the church by. 
And so when we talk about church, we talk about a location. We talk about a building. We talk about an event that takes place on a Sunday morning. But as we read what Jesus says here to Peter, that's not what Jesus meant. He was calling for a team of people that are moving together to live out his mission here on this earth. And so when Jesus is talking to Peter there in Matthew, he's looking at Peter. He's looking at his disciples like, hey, I'm going to start this with you. That you guys, you're going to start this movement of people that are going to work together. And they're going to tell my story. And you're going to live out my mission on this earth. And humans got to the point of saying, now nah, we'll just go to church. I love what Andy Stanley writes in his book, Deep and Wide. He says, you can lock the doors of a kirka, not so with the ecclesia of Jesus. Let's say that we take that definition of what we call the church today. When I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about an ecclesia, right? I'm not talking about a building or a place or an event on a Sunday. I'm talking about this movement of people. Let's say that we can accept that definition of um, of what the church is. Then the next question is, what does this team look like? What, what does this group of people that are part of this team, a part of this church, what do they look like? I want to look at a, a passage, and again, I talked about this, I think, last summer, and it comes out of 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, starting with verse 12, says a human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. None of us are, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body for, by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Paul goes into this town, the city of Corinth, and he plants this church. He starts this church up, and he, people start to follow Jesus, and he, he begins this little house church put some leadership in, in place, and then he leaves, right? He's like, all right, you guys are good to go. He leaves. Well, there's a group of people that are still at this church. There's some visitors that go to that church, and they, they, they're, you know, like spies, you know, right? They, they do some intel, and they come back to, to Paul. and like, Paul, that church that you left, that you started, that was in a healthy place, it's not the same place anymore. Like, the church is jacked up. Like, there's some crazy stuff going on here. That, that church is, is, is really, really messy, and so Paul gets this intel back, and what does he do? He writes a letter back to them. In fact, we have two of those letters, or more, but we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and these are Paul's letters back to that particular church. It's kind of like, hey, this is what I've heard. This seems to be going on. Here's some things that maybe you can work out. He's trying to, he's trying to straighten them out, okay? There's a really big problem there. There's actually many big problems there, but... One of the biggest issues was they had stopped working together as, as a team. That they were, instead of caring for each other and loving each other and helping each other and supporting each other, instead of working together as they were supposed to work together, instead of living out the mission of Jesus together, this church had really become a battlefield. Like they, they were fighting each other. They, they were trying to figure out who to listen to, who was in charge, who was right, who, who was wrong, you know, uh, who was last, who, who was first. So there's all these things that are happening there because they're not functioning as a team. Now, Paul doesn't go into Corinth and start a church, okay? 
He's not there to start this place that's about a building and it's about a gathering, you know, on Sunday mornings, an event. That's not what he started. He went there and he started this ecclesia. And he wants them to understand, hey, you have to work together. This is such a huge part of what we are called to do and who we are called to be on this mission that Jesus has put us on. And so he uses this example of the body. He says, your body is made up of many, many different parts. But all those parts, they're not separate. They actually make up one body. Now, I know you're sitting there and you're kind of wondering to yourself, Chad usually doesn't have a box up there with him or a basket. What is going on? Well, this is the PG-13 rated version of the message, okay? Not to scare any parents. I'm just kidding, just in case, all right? I have a buddy with me up here, and... This buddy actually really, I believe, helps demonstrate what we're talking about here, what Paul is, is referenced to. And you probably know this guy. This is Mr. Potato Head, okay? This morning, about 15 times, I've been told I look like Mr. Potato Head. So I'm not sure what that means. But a couple people have been excommunicated from our church and will not be coming back next week, all right? Now, why this is PG-13 is because he doesn't have his shirt on. And we like for people to wear shirts when they come to church. We put his pants on, which is great, all right? So, uh, again, th this is Mr. Potato Head. And what do we know about Mr. Potato Head? Mr. Potato Head has all kinds of different parts. By the way, do you th when you were a kid, didn't Mr. Potato Head, wasn't he like 17 feet tall? <laughs> I got this this week. I'm like, seven inches? That thing seemed so big when, it was a, when you were a kid. But anyway, um, we have all these different parts, right? Mr. Potato Head has all of these different parts, and all these different parts, they make up Mr. Potato Head. And so when we're thinking about this passage today, we're going to use Mr. Potato Head as an object lesson to kind of help us understand a little bit more what, what Paul is, is talking about here. So all these different parts make up Mr. Potato Head, as all the different parts of the church make up the church. That's you, that's me, it's people sitting beside you, behind you, in front of you, it's people that are online. Uh, that makes up the church, that makes up the body. Look at verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Now look at Mr. Potato Head here. If Mr. Potato Head were just an arm, he can wave. Well, there's not a whole lot else Mr. Potato Head could do. What if Mr. Potato Head was just a nose? Well, he'd have a great sense of smell, but Mr. Potato Head can't fully be who Mr. Potato Head is supposed to be unless all of these parts are put together. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. You've got to have all of these parts together for the body to function the way it's supposed to function. Again, he's, he's focusing on the church here. Verse 18, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. The body can't function if it's just an ear, if it's just some lips, if it's just a hand. 
You need all of these different parts to work together to make the body what it's supposed to be. And Mr. Potato Head, are you taking pictures of this? Okay, great. I hear that. Thank you. Oops, lost an ear. Mr. Potato Head can only be Mr. Potato Head when we get all of his parts together. And oh, by the way, since he is bald, we're going to put a hat on him so he doesn't get sunburned, okay? I've learned how that is. Now, we got Mr. Potato Head. We know who Mr. Potato Head is because, thank you, because all of these parts have been put together as one body. Just like the church has all these different parts and all these parts, which is you and me and everybody else, they're put together so that we can be this one body, so that we can be this one team. Look at verse 22. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we close with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Back in 2019, the Los Angeles Rams were heading to Atlanta to play in the Super Bowl, and their leading receiver that year, Brandon Cooks, he wants to do something special. So he brings the janitor for the team's facilities, a guy named Alfonso, into one of the Rams' meeting rooms. And when he comes into the room, uh, Cooks just, just gives him all kinds of accolades for who he is and what he does and the determination and the dignity that he has brought to that organization. And, and again, you know, sometimes people are like, well, it's just a janitor. Cook saw how important he was to this team. And so he says, uh, here, here's the deal, Alfonso. I've got two tickets for you and your son to go to the Super Bowl with us. And he's like, and all expenses are paid. They asked Cooks why he did this, and here was his response. He said, the guy is special. He keeps our locker room in tip-top shape. He has a special soul. He's someone I just found myself drawn to when I got here. I just thought it would be special for him to understand this is a team, and he's a part of that as well. There's a couple things we can learn from here. Here's the first thing I would say. If you work in an office environment, how do you treat the people who may not have the same credentials or the same job that you do. I mean, there's something that we can learn about where we work and our attitudes toward everybody who's there. But, but what I really want to focus on here is that Cooks reminds us of what Paul is talking about here. Like there is no role, there's no part of the body that is more important than any other part. Like I know I'm the lead pastor here. But you know what? I am not more important than all of those amazing volunteers that are downstairs right now in Journey Kids. Our responsibilities might be different, but just because I'm the lead pastor and carry that title doesn't mean that I'm any better than anyone else. Like, we are all parts to this one body. That's what Cooks says here about Alfonso, that you are as important as everybody else. And in a healthy church, in a healthy team, in a healthy ecclesia, we see that and we live that out. And no one is more important than anybody else. And as Paul says, hey, you know what that does? When you see people the same, it brings harmony. It brings harmony to the church. Look at verse 26. 
If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Now, um, whether your football team wins or loses, it's going to come down to teamwork, right? Your your football team, their their team has got to work together. Nick, by the way, we're talking about American football, not soccer, when we talked about football. Nick's still around here somewhere. But anyway... Um, but, but just think about your, your team a second. Again, kind of looking at Mr. Potato. It's all these different players, right? It's different people, different personalities. They have different backgrounds, different attitudes, different work ethics. And so for your team to, to be what it should be, to live out its mission and its goal to win, to win the championship, everybody has got to kind of put those things aside and work together. You're bringing all these different people together. So whatever is in the way, you've got to let go of. But here's the deal. When, you're, when your best player goes down with an injury, you know what it does? It actually affects the team. When, when your other player is playing at an all-pro level, that also is going to affect the team. So as a team, whatever is happening within that team, you've got to remember you are in this together. In the good times and in the not-so-good times. When it comes to the church, when it comes to this ecclesia, this team, we are called to be in this together. Which means we cry together, we laugh together, we celebrate together, we work alongside each other as a team, we support one another as a team. But here's the crazy part, we're very different. We have different backgrounds. We come from different places. We have different stories. We have different skills and gifts and abilities. But yet here's Paul who's saying, but bring all that together to be this team. That when we bring all of these differences together, when we work together as a team, that we are really living out what Jesus has called us to be. This gathering of people, this movement of people that are here to live out his mission on earth. But there's one word of caution here. There's many that we could talk about. But there's one thing that can keep this thing we call the church, that can keep us from being the team that it's called to be. And it's really, really simple. It's me. I can get so focused on me that I can forget about other parts of the body. I can get so focused on what I want and my desires that I can forget that I'm a part of something much bigger than myself. I I can get so focused on my own mission than the mission that we're called to be a part of, that, that, that mission that I have can take over everything else that should be important in the church. And when I say that word me, I'm literally talking about me. But I'm also talking about the you, me too. The you can get so focused on your desires and your wants. You can get so focused on on what you want or your mission for the church that, that you forget that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And we can often in the church, and I think this is why the church is looked at the way it is, We can make ourselves so much more important than the team that Jesus has called us to be a part of. 
Think about dating relationships or marriages or your workspace. How often in those team settings have you had someone make themselves more important than that relationship or make themselves more important than that particular group or organization that they've let their ego kind of take over? I'm betting you've either seen that happen or you've definitely experienced that, right? And in those settings, again, it becomes a battlefield. People are fighting. People are arguing. People lose interest in what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, Many times people just quit because they don't want to have to deal with that person. Or we find people just go off mission. Again, we we see this in our our life and in other people's lives as we watch teams where, where someone has said, hey, this is about me and it's not about the team. And so as we talk today and as we talk over the next few weeks about this thing we still call the church today, I know it's easy for us to walk into a business or anywhere, really. Um, I talked about this first service. I don't think I shared this yet. Uh, every year here at The Journey, we're in a transit area, right? Uh, we know we've got about 100 to 120 people who are going to move and leave us. Lots of military, again, just a transient area. Amazing part is God always sends more people to fill those seats, and it's crazy, even sends more. But... Um, but we know that's going to happen. So chances are you've moved here. You were probably, some of you were probably a part of a church wherever you were before. And when you leave, you know, you're going to go somewhere. You're probably going to find a church. And when you go there, we ask questions, right? And some of those questions are questions like, what can this church offer me? What can this church do for me? Parents, we ask the question, hey, what can this, this church offer my kids? But here's what I want you to think about. And don't get me wrong here. I don't think those questions are necessarily bad questions. I think they're bad questions when we keep asking that over and over again as we've kind of found this place that we feel like fits our our spiritual journey. And if you're someone, you keep asking that question. Let's just say you're here at the journey. You keep asking that question yourself. What is this church going to offer me? What's it going to do for me? What's it going to do for my kids? You keep asking that over and over and over again. Maybe your definition of church is the wrong definition of church. Maybe you're saying this is all about me. And maybe you see the church as a location, a building, a place, an event that happens on a Sunday morning. Or can you come to the place of realizing that the church is a team? A church is a team that we are called into by Jesus. And this is an important team that we are called to be a part of, to live out the mission of Jesus in this world. And maybe if you've kind of settled down, again, wherever you may be, whatever church you may be a part of, maybe the better question is, how can I be an integral part of what God is doing here? Maybe that's the question we need to ask and wrestle with in our mind. Because if you resonate more with a kirka than you do this ecclesia that Jesus intended for it to be, Maybe your heart just isn't in the right place. And that honestly could be the biggest question we ask. Where is Jesus in my life? Because I am called to be a part of something so much bigger than myself. I'm called to be a part of a team that has the power 
to change the world because of Jesus. As we head into our time of communion this morning, I want to go back to something that, that um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians in 12.12. Because this team idea actually goes even a little bit deeper. It says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. See those last few words up there? We're not just an ecclesia. We're not just a team. We're not, not just the church. We, and all of our different parts, as people, we are called into the body of Christ. That's way better than any building. That's way better than any event on a Sunday morning or time slot on a Sunday morning. That's, that's way better than, than even you and me by ourselves. We are called into this body of Christ. And every single Sunday here at The Journey, we celebrate this body we are a part of. And so this morning, as we kind of think through that the church is all about a team that's living out the mission of Jesus here on this earth. There's all these different parts that are, that are working together as this one body, in this body of Christ. May communion today remind us of that. Right now, would you take your bread? And as you do that this morning, be reminded this and what we do. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Let's take together. As we drink this morning, just realize as you hear everybody open up their communion, to me that's a beautiful sound. Because it's not me doing it on my own. It's all of us together. And we are called to live out the mission of Jesus together. Let's be reminded of that as we take together. God, we are so grateful that you love us. And God, honestly, we're not really any different than that first church or that church there in Corinthian or Corinth. We, we get so focused on ourselves and we're messy, we're imperfect, but you love us. You sent Jesus to this earth for us. And you said, hey, here's the deal. The church, this ecclesia, this team, it's going to tell the world about the hope that can be found through Jesus Christ. The crazy part is, so often as we think about the church, we think it's dying, it's going under. We read news, we hear things, and again, it's all about the messiness of people, but as we find in what Paul writes there, nothing, nothing will tear the church down. And that's because it's all about Jesus. So God, let us be a people that are about Jesus, that we are in this together. Lead us, God, as we hear your voice, as we listen to your spirit lead us, as we continue to be the ecclesia that Jesus called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.